Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. everybody. We're going to take a bite of the Big Apple with Mike Vaccaro, great columnist for the New York Post. Uh, everybody's talking about, uh, I'm watching all the shows this morning, Mike, and everybody's talking about, you know, where are the Jets going with their quarterback situation? And I'm listening to the arguments and, and a lot of arguments make sense. Uh, some don't, but let me come right out and say, if the Jets are sitting around waiting for Aaron Rodgers, my own opinion, I think they're kidding themselves because it's going to drag on for a while. Now, me personally, if I'm running the Jets, I don't let Derek Carr out of my office the other day. Yeah, I'm with you. Look, I mean, I, I look at it from two, from, from two perspectives, Howard. I mean, on the one hand, as a writer, as specifically a writer for the New York Post, you know, I, I welcome Aaron Rodgers in our market because that's going to be a nice, uh, you know, spit show every day. I'll put the nice word to it. And it'll be great. It'll be headlines. It'll be... It'll be stories and be columns galore. Forget about it. I mean, me and Serbia will be fighting over each other to be able to to, uh, to 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 write about Aaron Rodgers every day. And Ken Azaro will come back to come at us with two haymakers a day. And, you know, it, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be hilarious and fun and everything. But I'm not so sure that's what Jets fans necessarily want. Now, I, I get it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And six years ago, I'd be saying, you know, there would be absolutely nothing, no downside to this. But I watched Aaron Rodgers play last year, you know. I've also watched Aaron Rodgers behave the last couple of years. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to declare him done because the last thing you want to do uh, for a competitive person is to, you know, prematurely declare them their, their career over. But, you know, he didn't have a great year last year. But more, more to the point, I, I just don't know, you know, as, as, as bad a fit as, as Brett Favre was in New York in terms of his personality and just the way he did things. Aaron Rodgers here, I, I just I, I just don't know. You know, and like I said, it'll be it would be hilarious. And, Fun from my standpoint, but from the Jets' standpoint, uh, I mean, to, to me, to me, I mean, Derek Carr is the one that makes the most sense of the world because what the Jets need is, is competent quarterback. If they had a competent quarterback last year, they would have made the playoffs. If they had a competent quarterback last year, they might have won the AFC East as good as the defense and everything else was. So, to me, I mean, if you get, you know, if 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 if, if he gets the competent quarterback, and I think Carr is a little better than competent, I think that's what you need, and 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 he comes without the drama of uh, Aaron Rodgers. Well, you, you used a great word, drama. And Rodgers is surrounded by drama. I don't know what's changed in him, uh, but let's put things on the table. I compared the stats last year, Rodgers and Ben Carr. They're comparable. Uh, that, that's number one. Number two, you got a 39-year-old quarterback versus a 31-year-old quarterback. You've got a great young roster, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. So you need a quarterback to enhance their ability, you need a leader and you need somebody who believes in, in this roster. And I don't know that, that uh, Rogers checks all those boxes. It's just an opinion. And, and, and plus it's going to cost more in terms of yeah. assets and, and, and all that. So to me, I mean, I mean, to me, it's a no brainer. And I'm not trying to make car out to be, 
the second coming of Joe Montana or anything like that. But he's a he's a he's a competent NFL quarterback who was on a bad team last year. You know, who cl- clearly, I mean, I think is exact is exactly what the Jets need because the Jets want to be, I think, you know, a run first team. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to be a run first team when you have Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback and when he's taking up so much of your payroll and will acquire so many assets. Uh, to, to, to me, I mean, it, it, it's not even close. No, you're right. The Jets are going to have to give up something because it's going to have to be a trade. Uh, with Derek Carr, it's about spending a lot of money. All right. right, Woody Johnson has made a declaration. I'm going to do whatever we got to do. I don't care what it's going to cost. Well, okay, I'll take him at his word. But Derek Carr has never had a defense like this that he's played, uh, you know, he's seen. This This defense was top five in the NFL last year. That means right. something to a quarterback because you know that, that you're going to have a lot more opportunities with that kind of a defense. And you got to figure that there are that there, there are more than a couple of quarterbacks who looked at the Jets this year and said, man, you know, I think if I were on that team, that'd be a pretty good team because you have the running game and you have you have the, 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 that defense. I mean, they just don't need somebody who's, who's, who's going who's gonna to short arm a, a screen pass the way that he did with, uh, with Zach Wilson for much of the season. And you know, it just, I mean, you know, Mike White could never stay on the field and Joe Flacco is, you know, 105 years old. So you really don't have any great options currently on the roster. So you clearly have to do something. I mean, I, I just think it's, I, I just think it makes far more sense to, to sign Carr than to, to, to ransom the farm for Aaron Rodgers. I heard a statement the other day, Mike, where somebody said, if the Jets get Rodgers, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, hold on now. <laughs> let's, let's take one step at a time. Uh, and that is getting to the playoffs. How far can they go into the playoffs uh, with a Derek Carr? I think they go pretty far. Uh, can they contend for the AFC East division? Yes, I think they can. Uh, I, I realize you're dealing with with Josh Allen in Buffalo, uh, but that aside, uh, I think the Jets put themselves in a very good position. They haven't had a quarterback worth talking about since Joe Namath. All right, Mark Sanchez made the playoffs twice. I'll give him that. Chad Pennington was a good quarterback, but Derek Carr gives them an answer to fill in all these blanks. And the can he can he uh, adapt to New York? I think he can. I, I think his adaptation will be a lot uh, easier than that of Aaron Rodgers, frankly, because he's got yeah. a low he's got a low, low profile. He's he seems like he seems like you know as regular a guy as a, as a, as, a, as a professional quarterback can be, and that's what that's what the Jets need. They just need somebody who's just going to come in and. And, and and not be awful. <laughs> I mean, it's a low bar, but that's really what the bar is. I mean, they were so deplorable at the quarterback position last year, and they still won seven games. Exactly. Let's deal with the Giants for a second. Daniel Jones, uh, the, the Giants elected not to pick up his fifth-year option uh, last year, which basically put it all on him. Uh, I think he's a good quarterback. Do I think he's great? Not yet, but I think he's capable and he got the Jets. He got the Giants to the playoffs last year. Let's be let's be understanding. He didn't turn the ball over like he had done the year before. He gives the Giants some consistency at quarterback. Uh, Saquon Barkley. Uh, are they going to want to bring him back? I think they are, but at what cost? Yeah. Look, I mean, to me, with with with, with Daniel Jones, I mean, look, I mean, there's 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 what thirty two NFL teams, and there's what maybe. 15, 16 quarterbacks that you really feel really confident about. And I think Daniel Jones is one of the quarterbacks. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good thing to, to have a quarterback that, that has proven that he can win in the league. That's a pretty valuable commodity. I mean, and so the Giants have that. And, and, and look, I mean, so on, on that level, 
Daniel Jones has a little bit of leverage. I'm not sure that there are a lot of teams who necessarily look at him as the kind of foundational quarterback that Mahomes or, or Josh Allen is. So there's the Giants leverage. And the fact is that, I mean, at some point, I, I think both the Giants and Daniel Jones have to understand that there's a lot of money to be made. Maybe you're not going to set any, any, any records, but there's a lot of money to be made. And more importantly, there's a partnership with, 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 uh, with the coach who to me, you know, in, you know the, the, the Dable Jones marriage has been a successful one and Dable's not going anywhere. I mean, he's just one coach of the year and nor should he. I mean, I think part of Daniel Jones's problems, you know, a was that he didn't have a coach that he clicked with, but he didn't have but, but, you know, every couple of, every couple of minutes, the giants were changing coaches. That's not going to be the case now. And we know that the two of them have a successful business partnership. So to me, I mean, that, you know, that only means the sky's the limit for Daniel Jones, as far as he's concerned. And certainly the Giants have to look at that and say, well, this is a partnership that worked. You know, you, you look at what Dable did with Josh Allen. I mean, I think it's, you know, I almost think it's unfair to call Daniel Jones a poor man's Josh Allen, but he's certainly maybe a step below Josh Allen with a very similar skill set. So why wouldn't you want to maintain that partnership? Look, as far as Daquan is concerned, I mean, I think I, I, I think they want to, I think they'd love to have him back. I mean, I do think that there's something that has to be said, though. And this is also with, 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 with the Jones thing. I mean, the Giants, you know, despite a wonderful season last year, clearly a very thin roster still. They need to get more talented. You know, a lot of things broke right for them this year. And, you know, maybe those things, you know, maybe, maybe the close games they win this year, they wouldn't win next year with the same roster. And that's very possible. I mean, you got to get better in order to, you know, to, 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 to take the flukiness out of what seemed like a somewhat fluky couple of games that they won this year. You know, put that away and, you know, you know, be the kind of team that's good enough to, you know, to be expected to win those games. And the only way to do that is to build a roster. And if you're going to invest so much money in two players, it's going to really, you know, hinder what you can do with the rest of the roster. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with uh, the great columnist, the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro, uh, you, you hit it right on the head. Uh, you look at the Giants receiving core. It doesn't scare a lot of people. Uh, it's okay, but uh, there's, there's got to be some movement in that spot. Every quarterback needs a big-time receiver if you can get it. Well, the Giants don't really have that. Uh, they, they've they got uh, Daniel Jones. The one thing he improved on, without question, was that he didn't turn the ball over last year like he did the year before. That's right. a huge plus, you know. Well, and that's, that's the thing. You know, that if you're the Giants, you say this is obviously a guy who, you know, who got better in that department, but also clearly, I mean, look, I mean, him, him and Dable just clicked. Yeah. And, you know, you don't get that a lot, you know, I mean, you just don't, I mean, if he, and, you know, I, I defy you to find a good team where the quarterback and the, and the, and the coach are at odds. I mean, maybe you have to go back to Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Nolan didn't really, you know, send Christmas cards to each other, but they were able to, to overcome that. You know, I mean, you think Patrick or Holmes, you think of Andrew, Andy Reid, right. You think of, you know, you, you think you think of Josh Allen, you think of Sean McDermott. I mean, it's just it's just it's 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 kind of the way it is. And if you have a quarterback and a coach that are on that same page, it's really, you know, it's 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 hard to think about going in a different direction from that. Mike, you wrote a column today about uh, Jock Vaughn, who's just been extended. They they take the interim tag off his uh, title as head coach now of the Nets, and I think he richly deserves it. Uh, you got to look at this Nets team. Kevin Durant's gone. Kyrie Irving's gone. Chaos is gone. Division uh, in the locker room, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not in that locker room, so I don't really know. But look, I don't like guys like Kyrie Irving because they're about Kyrie Irving. Uh, and so 
here he is in Dallas now with Luka Doncic, one of the top five players in the league. Inevitably, he's going to become Kyrie Irving again. The question is when. Yeah, the over-under is uh, probably uh, you know, <laughs> three of the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, right. um, yeah I, mean, I mean, and look, I mean, that's what's so intriguing about what the Nets are now. I mean, look, they're nobody's idea of a contender. You know, they may wind up, you know, holding on to the fifth or sixth seed in the East because they you know, had that 18-2 stretch when they still had, you know, older varsity players. Um, but they're an intriguing team. They have a lot of interesting pieces. I mean, Bridges is a fun, is a fun addition. Uh, Claxton seems to get better every quarter, forget every game. I mean, he sees it's, it's remarkable what's happened to him. Uh, you know, in the wake of the of all the craziness, I mean, was left behind a fairly interesting team, you know. Now, where, where do you go from there? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, and I wrote this too, it's kind of like the old script from, from Dallas where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Bobby Ewing was dead, but it turned out to be a dream. They just kind of erased that whole season. That's kind of what the, what the Nets are doing now. You just kind of forget the last three and a half years ever happened. Let's pick things up, you know, where we were. You know, in 2019, we were a nice, young, interesting team with a good coach, kind of trying to figure it out and kind of build organically. You know, uh, it's not Kenny Atkinson anymore. It's Jock Vaughn. But, you know, in a lot of ways, Jock Vaughn and Kenny Atkinson are the same guy, professional, you know, didn't get their job because of what their name was, got their job because they knew how to do the job. They know how to coach, you know. And to me, I mean, I'm always going to err on the side of a guy who knows what he's doing. Uh, Jack Vaughn knows what he's doing. I mean, he got saddled with some terrible teams earlier in his career. And so his record, you know, people want to just hide behind the record. I mean, but, 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 you know, you see what he did with this team and there's three things about what he did with the Nets so far this year, which really impressed me. One, you know, he took over for Nash uh, when Kyrie was suspended and that could have been a complete bloodbath. And in, and in fact, the Nets played pretty well in, in that stretch, um, you know, despite all the, all the craziness. He's also the coach when they went 18 and two, <laughs> And looked like one of the best teams in the league, and looked like they were genuine title contenders. So you gotta, you know, admire him for that. I mean, eighteen and two is, you know, you, you know, good, good luck to you trying to find another twenty game stretch in net NBA history where they were eighteen and two. And subsequently, since this team kind of like the, the roster tumbled upside down, they remain competitive. You know, I mean, and, and they play hard every day, and it's, it's very clear he communicates. I mean. You know, it's not easy to have a guy like Cam Thomas who goes for 40 points three games in a row, and now he's like your eighth man again. And he seems to have figured that out, how to be able to communicate with the players. I'm sure Thomas isn't going to be happy doing that forever, but, I mean, you know what? In the, in the moment, that's what good coaches do. They adjust, and that's really what Jack Vaughn, I think, to, to me, has proven why he's proven his worth of, uh, you, know, you know, why he deserves to be, uh, you know, the permanent coach. I really do, and I think that was a good that they, you know, the, the Nets have done a lot of bad – done a lot of things wrong, and a lot of bad things have happened to the Nets. Uh, the last couple of years, and this is one they got absolutely right to me. Yeah. Uh, you look short-term at their schedule. They've got two games coming up with Milwaukee. They've got a game against Boston. They've got a road trip against Denver, the best team in the Western Conference. So the schedule early, short-term is daunting. Uh, how they can survive that, we'll find out. Let's go over to, to Madison Square Garden, where the Knicks, interestingly enough, since Mitchell Robinson went down, they've actually played better. Uh, Hockenstein is, uh, it's turned out to be a heck of an acquisition, but let's not forget the best acquisition they made. Maybe the lifetime of the franchise was Jason was, uh, was, was Brunson. I mean, Brunson to me, uh, why he wasn't on the all-star team, I don't know. And I don't really care, but he's not only been a great scorer and a distributor, but look how much better Julius Randall's playing. Is there any coincidence it's because Brunson's on the team? 
you know, I thought that it was a smart move. And I, you know, I mean, around this time last year when I first started writing that uh, Brunson should be the, the, the next offseason target. And then you kind of go from there. Um, I, I would love to tell you that this is the kind of player I envisioned they were getting, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought they were getting a guy who's going to be, you know, 15 points a game, six assists and professional. They're getting a guy, like you said, I mean, he was, he's clearly performing at an all-star level, whether he's on the all-star team or not. Uh, he's, he's one of the, he's one of the best players in the league. I mean, think about that. When's the last time that the Knicks or really any other New York team can say they made a free agent deal for one of the best players in the league. I mean, you know, I'm not saying top five, but top 15, top 20. I want him on my team. I do because he's going to make, he's going to make my, my, my players better. Now, where the Knicks take the next step is when instead of, instead of Brunson as your one and Julius as your two and RJ as your three, those guys are now two, three, four and player stud X is now your number one. It's kind of where you kind of wish maybe, you know, in retrospect, they would have been a little more aggressive with Donovan Mitchell or a player like Donovan Mitchell. There has to be some other component for the Knicks to take the next step. But I mean, look, I think, you know, I did the math lab last week. I think, I think they need to go 15 and seven to get to 48 wins, which is what, uh, Won the fifth seed last year. You think know, they, they can get the fifth seed this year and, and, and avoid the play-in, even if they even, even if they lose in five or six games to the Bucks or the, or the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. That's a hell of a first step. And then you have to just you have to figure out how it is or in what what path or who your guy is to acquire that's going to be able to allow you to go from forty-eight wins to fifty-eight wins and then be in the conversation every year for the championship. Because there are parts there; they're just not enough championships. You still need the one elite player that, you know, all, that, that all great teams have. And look, I mean, if it was that easy to get them, then, you know, it would be easy to win an NBA championship. And the Knicks have shown for almost 50 years that it's not easy to win an NBA championship. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, well, the addition of Josh Hart probably makes Brunson happier because they were teammates at Villanova. Uh, but I look at this Knicks team now. They've won three in a row. Uh, I mean, if the Nets aren't looking over their shoulder, they should be because the Knicks are only three games in the loss column behind the nets for the fifth spot. <laughs> I won't bid against them. The break, the, the, the break came at a bad time for the Knicks because they were playing the best they've played in years, um, inclusive of two years ago, and they played pretty well for 72 games. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, I, think, I think the Knicks are, what, two games behind them in the loss column? Or they're two, three. They're three in the loss, and I think three. the game in the, in the overall. And, look, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, 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 the interesting thing is that both the – I, I, I'm not sure who's seventh, who's, who's eighth, but the Knicks and the Nets are seventh and eighth in terms of schedule strength less. So they have some, some work ahead of them. Knicks will have a West Coast trip and, and so forth. So, you know, you got to kind of manage expectations about what's what possible. But, you know, can the Knicks get to me? Until, until, until they picked up Hart, I, I, I just said, you know, no matter what their record was, they looked like a 41 and 41 team to me. And now I don't say that. I mean, I do think that, they're better than that. Now, what does that translate to? It translates by to, at, you know, as, as a max out, you know, finishing in fifth or sixth place, avoiding the play-in, and then, you know, taking your, you know, taking your lumps in the first round of the playoffs. But I think the Knicks would take that. And even a first-round playoff loss this year, uh, no matter what, you know, no, no matter what, how it went, it would probably leave you with a better taste in your mouth than two years ago when you had home court and you lost to a, to a, to a Hawks team that, you know, really, you know, I mean, obviously they got hot the right time of the year. They were kind of like this year's Phillies. And so you just kind of, you know, you, but, but, but even if you lose in a, a gentleman's sweep this year, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, you, you have a better feeling about, about the way this season, you know, progresses than I think you did two years ago. New York Post, Mike Vaccaro, taking a bite of the Big Apple. Uh, I uh, Look, the Heat are right on the tail of the Knicks. I, I don't know if they're going to catch them or not, or that remains to be seen. 
Atlanta Hawks. I mean, they fired Nate McMillan. Uh, I think uh, we we had expectations that they were going to be a playoff team. That I, I don't think that's the case anymore. But looking ahead, you got Boston, you got Milwaukee, you got Philadelphia, you got Cleveland, and and the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't know if I mentioned that, but you got some really good teams ahead of the Knicks. But uh, I think they're going to be a hard out. They get into the playoffs. They're going to be a hard out. I think so too. I mean, you're going to, you know, I really do think that. Uh, you know, look, I mean. Any one of those teams, I mean, the, the Knicks have shown they can play with any of those teams. They've beaten Boston, they've beaten Philly, they've beaten Miami, they've beaten Cleveland. They probably should have beaten Milwaukee twice. You know, they had one of their, you know, usual garden stumbles twice in the fourth quarter against Milwaukee. So they've, you know, they, they, they've proven they can play with these teams, which means, which, which tells you they had a playoff situation. Can you take two home games off them? Sure, why not? You know, and and, and, and I think if you lose one, if you lose a first round game to any of those teams, in six games, you, you you take it for what it's worth—a season where, where there was progress—and now let's get that piece, that final piece that makes us competitive. You know, he's top heavy. There's definitely there 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 are four very good teams in Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, and Cleveland, and then you have you know five and six. You know, I can see you can see any of three or four teams you know, having having those two teams, and then you know then 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 you have the seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth and so forth, but. Uh, Knicks definitely are in play for the fifth and sixth seed. To me, that's an that, 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 that's a big deal. Yeah. How do you explain? I mean, here's a building that's full every night, and they have a better record on the road than they do at Madison Square Garden. To me, that's always been a head-scratcher. Yeah, but you know what? There's always been a situation with the Garden because, you know, other teams play there once a year or twice a year, and, you know, players players do still like to – they don't necessarily like to play at the Garden for the Knicks, but they like to play in the Garden because they know what, they, they know what it means to, you know, to – have a big game in the garden. It's, it's still, it still matters. You know, it, everything has changed in the world, but you know, having a 35 point, 11 rebound, nine assist game in the garden is still something that matters to people. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it, 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 you, you run into that a lot with the Knicks. The more troubling thing is that there have been more games in the garden where they've, you know, they've had fourth quarter leads and they've, they surrendered those. Yeah. Those are to explain away than the, than the one player coming in and have a big game. But, you know, I also think it's also part of the growing process. And, you know, we're also talking now about a world for the next, you know, before Josh Hart and after Josh Hart. And look, I mean, they're 3-0 with Josh Hart. They haven't had any of those fourth quarter miseries with him. And so let's see if that matters because it's, it's clear, you know, it's kind of like he was built in the Tom Thibodeau player factory. So, I mean, he's a guy who's going to play a lot of fourth quarters. And that's probably going to make a difference in what the Knicks look like in the fourth quarter going forward. Isn't it interesting that you mentioned Tom Thibodeau? Is he one of the biggest complainers to the refs? Yes. Uh, Julius Randle, same thing. Constantly bitching at the refs. They, I, I think the last three games, I don't think Thibodeau complained to the refs once. Winning will do that to you. Yeah, of course it will. I and mean, you know, that's the thing. It's like you know, winning makes a lot of your flaws seem a little more invisible. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I made a point last week in writing about Josh Hart that you know, I put a, I put a disclaimer in. You know, that, that I'm not comparing him to Dave DeBusher, but, you know, as an, as an agent of change, it is a, a valid comparison. Um, I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer like Dave DeBusher was, but when DeBusher came to the Knicks 55 years ago, you know, more than, more than his talent, he was, like, he was like a missing ingredient in terms of the chemistry of the team. And yes, it helped that he was also a Hall of Fame level player. But when you when you're when, when you're able to add that kind of positive mojo into a group that already seems to, to like each other, you know, that's, that's the important thing. And, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, when, when, even if you lose and, but, but, but you do it in a way that, you know, you, 
you're making progress even when you lose. I mean, Thibodeau's not a guy who thinks there's any such thing as a good loss or a valuable loss. But even he, I think, would admit if you gave him truth serum that as long as you play professionally, you know, it's a make or miss league and sometimes shots aren't going to fall. You can live with that. It's when you have like these kind of these, these occasional no-shows the Knicks had earlier in the year and they had all across last year. That's when he gets frustrating. And that's kind of, I think, when you see the, the coach taking out his frustrations because he can't yell at all of his players if he doesn't want to get fired and takes it out on the referees. Uh, let me ask you about one of the articles you've written recently on Tim McCarver, who passed away. Uh, I got a chance to meet Tim uh, some years ago and, and was fascinated with his personality, uh, it, it, the way that he treated people. He, he always made you feel like he knew you for 20 years, you know, and you've just met him the, uh, 10 minutes ago. But he had that ability to make you like him right away uh, and not to mention his ability on the air. I mean, he was clearly one of the great analysts of baseball in the history of the game. And I think that's what—that's the reason that explains his popularity for so many years is that, and you're right. I mean, if you were lucky enough, like you were, like I was, to know Tim a little bit and to meet him in person, you know, he was genuine, he was friendly, he, you know, he, he was, he was, you know, the opposite of the television diva, you know, caricature. Hmm. Um, but beyond that, I mean, just, just, just going by his work, I mean, I think that's why people were, you know, found him so appealing. And, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, yeah, I think I think he did 27 World Series, something crazy like that. I mean, that's a long, that's a pretty long run. And, you know, the reason for that is that it felt like you were talking to, you know, he was, they, they were talking baseball with a friend. With, yeah. with a guy with yeah. a, with a friend who knew a little bit more about baseball than you did. And, you know, and, and here's the thing. It's like, and I know sometimes he got some criticism for his network work. And the funny part is I didn't, I didn't, I never really listened to a lot of that because a lot of those games he was doing, I was at. So I didn't hear, I didn't hear him. But I was a guy who grew up in New York in the 80s. And so, you know, I, I listened to him every day when he was doing Mets games with Ralph Kiner and Steve Zabriskie and, you know, Rusty Staub and Fran Healy. And um, that's when you really appreciated what McCarver was, was listening to him every day. And every day was like a baseball tutorial. And it wasn't like he was talking down to you. You know, I mean, look, I probably knew from coaches that you probably don't make the first or third out of third base, but when the coaches gave it to you, he was like, well, you idiot. You don't make the first third out of third base. <laughs> when McCarver did it, he was like, look, here's the deal. You just don't make the – and he explained why, you know. You know, the things that, 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 that shortstops do with their gloves, the, you know, closed mouth for me and the open mouth for you, and if, who's going to cover second. I mean, these are things that I absolutely remember learning because I watched, because I watched McCarver every day, and that's to me what uh, – to me the most uh, enthralling part of his legacy is and why he deserves every – Accolade he's received uh, in the you know in the week since he in the day since he passed. Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn and an avid Dodger fan. Before they moved to L.A., I lived, ate, slept, uh, thought about the Brooklyn Dodgers every day. And so my father took me to a ball game. We sat uh, right behind, right near the press box area. And then after the game, we're walking out, and I looked to my left, and coming out of the press box was Vin Scully. Right. And I'm like, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. I'm staring at him because this guy was, was an idol. Now we fast forward and help me out with the year. I want to say it was 1992 when the Braves played Minnesota in the World Series. Uh, was that when Kirby Puckett had a winning home run? Right. I want to, was that 92? I'm not sure the actual year. Uh, the, 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 the Braves twins was 91. 91. Okay. So I'm doing a football game for CBS radio in, at Georgia tech. And after the game, uh, my boss at CBS radio, Frank Murphy had arranged for my wife and I to come into the press box 
and sit in the CBS radio booth to watch the World Series. Nice. I walk in and Frank introduces me to Vin Scully and Johnny Bench who are doing the game. Well, when I get introduced to Vin Scully, uh, I, I said, Vin, this is a huge big deal for me. And I told him about being a Brooklyn Dodger fan and so on. What have I said before about Tim McCarver? He made you feel like he knew you. Yep. Vin Scully talked to me like a Dutch uncle. And oh, <laughs> he st we started talking Brooklyn Dodger baseball. <laughs> Talk about one of the great days of your life. Well, yeah, so, so I, 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 this, this was a great moment for me also. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, Fordham football was like 9-0 or 10-0. And so I was doing a column about it. I mean, I, I don't do a lot of columns about Fordham football. So, you know, who you know, I figured, well, what the heck, I'll give, give, uh, give Vin a call, see if he got something to say. And I put a call into him. And I remember, I'll, I'll remember this clearly. I was driving to a Nets game. So I was, you know, I, I was driving across Manhattan you know, which is always a fun, a fun thing. And suddenly I look at my phone and it's Vince Scully calling. So I had to put him on my, I put him on my, you know, on, 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 on speakerphone well, through my radio. And it was, you know, it was a wonderful 20 minute interview, but I'm, you know, the thing that really struck me that the whole time was I'm talking to Vince Scully through the radio. How cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a big deal, but I mean, we talk about greats. Look, before I get into broadcasting, when I finally got into broadcasting, uh, my first job was in the was in Princeton Trenton Market, and our station carried the Phillies games. So I got a chance to meet Harry Callis and get meet uh -huh. Tim McCarver. And I mean, this was a big deal. But when when you when you have dreams and you live your dream, I don't think there's anything quite like it. Well, I mean, yep. having said that, I mean, who was your mentor? My mentor? Oh gosh, um, you know, well, once I arrived in New York, the guy that I the, the guy that I modeled myself on, you know, both in terms of the way he did the job and also the way he handled he dealt with people was Dave Anderson. Oh, uh, great guy from the New York Times. Yeah. You know, growing growing up, I read you know you know and, and you know Serbia loves when I tell him that I grew up reading him. You know, he really he really enjoys that. <laughs> um, you know, and Lupica and all the and, and Joe Gergen. I mean, I was a Newsday reader when I was a kid. So Steve Jacobs was 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 a big deal to me. And yeah, you know, I remember when uh, when 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 uh, Bill Knack worked for Newsday and, and and all those guys were really, you know, kind of the ones that nourished me. But once I became a you know you know once once I got into the into the market and was doing the job I always wanted to do as a kid, um, Dave Anderson was really the was really the beacon for me. Um, he you know I was I was fortunate enough that he just took he took a liking to me. Um, took an interest in me. Um, I previously worked in the Star Ledger, so which, which he read every day. So um, you know, so, so, so he was familiar with who I was, and you know, it was Dave Anderson who did the first. You know, he came over to me and said, "Mike, I'm, my name is Dave Anderson," and of course, I'm like, you know, um, <laughs> I know who you are. And he said, "You want to have some lunch?" He was. I remember. I'll never forget. It was at a Jets game, and I said, I, "I would, I would, I would love to have lunch, dinner. If you want to have breakfast tomorrow, sure, anything." And you know, from there, we had just a wonderful friendship, and. You know, I'll tell you one. You know, one of the great uh, honors of my life was a few, few, few years later. You know, we, the baseball writers every year nominate somebody for the Hall of Fame, and there were a couple of candidates that year that you know that that I, I, I was I wasn't excited about getting behind. So I called up Dave. I said, Dave, I'd really like to nominate you for the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And he's like, Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm flattered, and so I did. And you know, he he, he didn't get it, but you know. The, the 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 thrill in his voice that I that I was willing to talk about you know Dave's thing you know to me Dave Dave's uh, claim to fame which would get him in the Hall of Fame anyways that he was the last person ever to leave Ebbets Field and he did it knowing he'd be the last guy there were two of them walking out of Ebbets Field the last day 
know, the regular season in 1957. And he, you know, he made, he made, he made the, the egalitarian gesture of opening the door for the next guy who just took it and like, oh, thank you. But he did that, A, because he's a gentleman, so he would have done it anyway. But B, because he knew that by doing that, and he would be the last guy who ever left Ebbets Field on, 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 you know, for, for, for base. And so, you know, and, and you know, I just, you know, in the, in the 10 or so years, 15 years that uh, he and I were able to share press boxes together, it was, uh, it was a wonderful thing. And so he's the guy, and, and just, you know, there was never, there was never anyone who ever had a bad thing to say about Dave Anderson because he treated people properly, treated them with respect. It didn't matter if it was a, uh, if it was a custodian, didn't matter if it was a, another columnist, didn't matter if it was Bob Woodward. I mean, it, it, it was he was going to be treated the same way, and that's with respect and dignity, you know, which is the way that he wanted to be treated, and he, you know, certainly we all did. And you know, so 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 yeah, that, that that's kind of an easy question for me. He was, and even now, you know, he's been he's you know he's been gone for a couple of years now, but I still always, you know, it's not like I wear a bracelet says what would Dave do, but I do sometimes ask myself, okay, in a, in a difficult situation, if I'm losing my temper, you know, what would what, what would Dave the gentleman do? And I, I, I that, that that tends to 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 push me in the right direction. Yeah, great guy, no question about it. Always great talking to you, Mike. I appreciate your time and uh, continued uh, your your rehab. And I hope you feel better. Thanks, Howard. Great talking to you. Same here. He's Take Mike Vaccaro taking a bite of the Big Apple with yours truly, Howard David. As we welcome in uh, Daryl uh, Slater from the New York Star uh, Star Ledger. Excuse me while I fumble along a little bit, because I start talking about trivia uh, about Brooklyn. I get a little tongue tied, Daryl, you know? <laughs> well, I was uh, <clears throat> I will say I, I enjoyed listening to the last part of what Mike was talking about there. Um, I will say that I feel the same way about Mike, uh, you know, him being such a gentleman, as he mentioned about Dave Anderson, who I never you know, got the pleasure of knowing. But but Mike is that same way. And he's just, he's a great guy. So I, I enjoyed listening to the end of his uh, conversation with you there. No, he's a he's an encyclopedia of, of New York sports, certainly without question. Uh, you cover the Jets and the Giants. Let me I'll, I'll talk to the Giants in just a little bit. But the biggest story right now is what are the Jets going to do with the quarterback situation? And I, d- I offered my opinion to to Mike Vaccaro at the beginning of our interview. I said, look, I'm not going to sit around and wait on Aaron Rodgers. I would not have left Derek Carr leave the office the other day after they had their meeting. I would have put a contract in front of him, give him what he wants, and let's get on with it because it's better to do something like that in February than to wait to July or August. Right. I mean, the thing with Derek Carr is he wants to make this a thorough process. He wants to go and have other visits. He he obviously has met with the Saints, met with the Jets, and he wants to do his due diligence here and do his homework on these teams. And so, I, you know, I understand that. That makes sense. Um, obviously, the Jets are in a situation where I think Derek Carr would be a great fit for them. You know, he's he's a he's obviously would be an upgrade from what they were dealing with a quarterback, which was a very low level of production. Um but I think, you know, separate from that, he's, he's a pretty darn good player if you get the right pieces around him and he can produce. And so Aaron Rodgers, more expensive than Derek Carr, uh, and you'd have to trade for him, which wouldn't be the case for Derek Carr, and Aaron Rodgers near the end of his career. So obviously no one would argue Aaron Rodgers has had a better career, but we're talking about right now in 2023, 2024, who can help you and who would be the better deal? And I think no doubt it would be Derek Carr. Now that said, um, when it comes down to it, is, is, is are the Jets a team where Derek Carr w- would want to go compared to other teams that might want him? So, um, yeah, I think it makes total sense for the Jets and Derek Carr. You look at Aaron Rodgers. He's 39 years old. I did a little investigating and compared last year's numbers. 
Derek Carr to Aaron Rodgers. They're very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here you've got a 31-year-old quarterback that you could have for seven or eight years or nine years versus a quarterback you may have for one. Uh, I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. But look, uh, Woody Johnson wants to make a splash. Is it a bigger splash with Rodgers for one year versus Derek Carr for seven or eight years? I don't think so. I think enough with like trying to win the back pages. Johnson has been obsessed with that for so long, you know, going back to the Brett Favre trade, obviously near the end of his career, uh, win games. That's what your fan base wants. They want you to win games. This team has not made the playoffs since 2010 enough already go and win some games. And Derek Carr can help you do that when combined with what you have in terms of young offensive players, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, the offensive line, uh, with Elijah Vera Tucker and those those guys who obviously uh, Hall and Tucker Vera Tucker hurt last year. Uh, Garrett Wilson had a great year, uh, and then of course the, the defense, which is outstanding. They're a win now defense. They're a win. This is a win now team. Now that doesn't mean they're a, they should be a Super Bowl team if they get Derek Carr this year, but but maybe next year, right? I mean, if they can build toward that. I mean, what are you building toward if you if you get Aaron Rodgers? If you trade the farm for Aaron Rodgers and he's only with you for one or two years, it's one or two years or bust to win the Super Bowl. That's it. You know, Derek Carr gives you a three, four year window, as you alluded to, to go chase that, to build toward that, to make the playoffs, to go deeper in the playoffs, and then to maybe win the Super Bowl. Um, obviously that's a long way off for this Jet team, but they do have talented pieces. I think people need to recognize how good some of their young pieces are, especially on defense. If you're a quarterback, we're talking with Daryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger, I would uh, look at from Derek Carr's point of view. All right, what am I walking into? I'm walking into a really good wide receiver room, a good tight end group. Uh, I'm looking at the top five defense. Uh, I mean, he's, he's checking all the boxes. Uh, you're looking at Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't know what's happened to him uh, over the last several years, but he's changed. His personality has changed. He's still a talented player. I don't think there's any question about it. But uh, it's not just a big but. It's I would even take it a step further. I think Joe Douglas has to hit a home run with a quarterback right now right. because he's come under scrutiny with the quarterbacks that he's drafted the last two years. It's been a bust. Plain and simple. So, if you're Joe Douglas. Uh, do you feel the pressure? Maybe he does quietly, but I don't think he'll tell you that publicly. Well, I'm sure he does, and he should because he, you know, if he hadn't succeeded with some of these other draft picks, uh, the, the his seat would be on fire because he drafted Zach Wilson second overall, and Zach Wilson's been a complete disaster. So when you do that, when you do that, um, not good. So, yes, he can make up for it if they go out and get the final piece here of a quarterback who can help get get them over the hump. And I think when you look at Rodgers, like, obviously, he's an enormously arrogant person. And and, but a lot of successful people are like, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but no one would argue that he's an arrogant, aloof guy. And, And now how does that play in a team setting? Some guys can make it work. Some guys can, but some guys can't. And some guys, it rubs young players the wrong way. I mean, look at how Aaron Rodgers was not able to relate to his young receivers. I mean, he was publicly beating those guys up in Green Bay. Now, sometimes that works. Sometimes that tough love works, but it obviously didn't. They didn't have a great year. He didn't have a great year, and and it just didn't mesh. Now, Derek Carr, um, he can be a little little prickly. You know, look, none of these guys is going to be – you know, a saint and then a great player or whatever, however you want to put it. Um, but it's not all going to be everything, right? It's not all, you know, if, 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 if they had everything all put together, they wouldn't, they would just be thriving where they are. Um, but 
Derek Carr, can he handle the criticism in New York? You know, he's a guy who has been a prickly, certainly. Um, and Vegas and Oakland are not even close to New York in terms of the criticism in this market that he'll face. But you go out and win and all that, all that goes away. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, Derek Carr is capable of delivering the results. Um, let's see how he, how capable he is of handling the criticism. Well, you, you by, by mere nature of the job, as a quarterback, you're the leader yeah. in that locker room. Uh, and uh, when you got a room full of young players, as the Jets do, you're going to be a mentor in that locker room as well. So you got to look at uh, the the uh, the Garrett Wilsons of the world and and the uh, and the Sauce Gardeners of the world. Uh, is he going to make an impact on these guys? There's no question about it. They're not looking up to Zach Wilson and saying, "Oh yeah, he's he's going to lead us," because it's just not real. So not only do I think the Jets could be a playoff team immediately with Derek Carr, but you look at the AFC East, couldn't you say they would contend with Buffalo? Sure. Sure. Why not? Um, you know, I think that Buffalo is going to be in a situation where they're not necessarily going to be able to keep everybody because of the money they've thrown at um, the money they've thrown at Josh Allen. And uh, Sure, I think that the Jets could definitely be right there in the main. And they beat the Bills last year, so uh, in in one of their games. So, um, yeah, I think that they could definitely be in that situation where uh, they could contend for the AFC East with the right pieces there. I think Derek Carr would be one of those right pieces. Now, you brought up Garrett Wilson, and he's a strong-headed young player, which is a good thing. Um, you know, when Zach Wilson struggled last year, you know, he made it clear that he they didn't that he didn't like how that how the offense was playing. He's a vocal leader. Um, these are not shy young players. These are vocal, um, young, outspoken players. Today's type of athlete, uh, talking about Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson in particular, the two rookies of the year, these guys are not wallflowers. And um, the quarterback coming in, if he thinks he's going to, you know, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you know, push these guys around or however you want to put it, that's not going that's not going to mesh with the state of this locker room right now right i mean they need a quarterback who can come in and build it with these guys not be the dictator they need a you know a democratic type of leader and i think if you look at it just from afar not really knowing Derek Carr Aaron Rodgers super personally or really personally at all uh it seems pretty evident that Derek Carr is more of that type of guy yeah there's there's no question and plus the fact you look at the jets defense top 5 defense in the league and you're a quarterback, you're saying to yourself, well, I got that defense, and they're going to give me the ball in really advantageous positions on the field. Don't I want to be a part of that? If you're Derek Carr and you're exploring the New Orleans Saints and, and the other teams that he, he might be looking at, if you're checking all the boxes, Daryl, I mean, how do you come up with more boxes checked than the New York Jets? And Look, I, I don't have any stock in the Jets. I broadcast their games once upon a time during the Bill Parcells era, but that was yesterday. This is today. The Jets need to do something, and Woody Johnson knows it. For sure. I mean, fans are fed up, and they're tired of losing. I mean, this a lot of the success that o overall you could take away from last season was sullied by their collapse down the stretch. There's no doubt. Woody Johnson is not getting any younger either. Um, you know, so certainly he wants to win. And um, 
you look, yeah, you like you said, you look at this defense, and they're they're in position to be a win now team with the state of this defense, and then they they looked every bit like a playoff team uh, throughout last year. Now it wouldn't just be, I mean, in the past you talk about players why they come to New York, right? Because they could, you know, Le'Veon Bell or whoever throw a lot of money at them, um, or the you know it's the New York allure. Okay, the, those both of those things will be true. I mean, Derek Carr would be well compensated if he comes to the Jets. Um, you know, the New York allure is still a thing, but but this is objectively a good team. The roster is good. I mean, like just set aside like the fact that they were same old Jets in a lot of ways last year, and that they that they did collapse down the stretch. That they did, um, you know, not handle the quarterback correctly, and also had a quarterback who's probably not very good. That they do have a head coach who's a pretty, you know, he's a dynamic leader, but you have to wonder about some other things about him. So it's not perfect, but if you look objectively at the talent on this roster, um, which is not, again, and not across the board perfect, it, it's really darn good right now, especially on defense. I mean, they just had the <laughs> defensive rookie of the year and the offensive rookie of the year, and they have plenty of other pieces around. I mean, who, who knows how far this team would have gone if Brees Hall hadn't gotten hurt? Yeah, um, that was a massive injury. So um, it'll be fascinating to see how this offseason goes. And more importantly, for Jets fans who are, let's be honest, tired of winning the offseason, it'll be fascinating to see how this manifests itself in December. Can this team win games in December with whoever their quarterback is? And the uh, if they were looking hard for a, for a little sore spot, it would be the offensive line. Uh, they're going to have to shore that up. Uh, but they can address that, I suppose, in the draft. Uh, let's go to the Giants. Daniel Jones did one thing that stood out last year that he didn't do the year before. He didn't turn the ball over. Uh, looking at him as a quarterback, I thought he did had a good season last year. They got into the playoffs. Okay, so they lose to Philadelphia in the first round. No shock. The fact of the matter is they got to deal with Daniel Jones in terms of a long I – don't, I don't think franchising him is the way to go. I think I'd just as soon lock him up. Would you? Well, I mean, I think Joe Shane has to look at this and determine what for the right price, right? I mean, yes, he didn't turn the ball over last last year, and he was, I think, you know, 14th in quarterback rating. So he was a pretty good but not elite quarterback last year who only threw 15 touchdown passes. Okay, now part of that is the pass protection wasn't great. A large part of it was the attrition at wide receiver um, and so or just underperforming at wide receiver. So those are mitigating factors, no doubt about it. Um, they're probably going to have to franchise tag him just as a placeholder because um, the deadline here is coming up. It's the window tra- franchise tag window started two days ago. Right. And then the deadline, it lasts two weeks. So it's about we're about a couple of days into a two week window here. And if, if Joe Shane doesn't come to an agreement with Daniel Jones by March the 7th, he will be franchise tag, no doubt, because they have no other reasonable where place to go in terms of finding a quarterback. You know, they're not going to, I would, you know, obviously be stunned if they go try to sign Derek Carr and then tell Daniel Jones to walk. I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, Joe Shane has said um, they, they want Dan, they're, Daniel Jones is going to be back. So either he's going to be back on a long-term contract um, but that has to work for the, for the giants. You know, they can't be in a situation where, um, they're full, you know, they're committing an insane amount of money to this guy for the next three years when let's be honest, he's only, he's only had one good year. So there has to be a balancing act here of, of what they're going to give him. The baseline for the negotiation is $35 million because of the franchise tag value this year and next year averaged out. So, um, $40 million a year is not insane for a quarterback right now in today's NFL by the, by week one next year, there'll probably be 12 or 13 quarterbacks in the league, making that much money in average oh. annual value. Now, guaranteed money makes is a bigger, is more important for cap purposes than for what you're actually making. 
But yeah, no, I think if you're if you're talking about higher than that, if you're talking about 45 or more, that's a tough needle to thread. Um, and the franchise tag is something obviously is the thing that they can use to lock him up, um, keep him around and extend their negotiating window. But it does it and it will limit what they're able to do in free agency because that money is going to sit on their books. Yeah, yeah. you brought up the, about their receivers. You look at their receiving room right now. It doesn't scare you. Uh, no. I mean, are they going to be in a market for an elite wide receiver? It'll be interesting because free agency this year doesn't have that. I mean, yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster, Alan Alan Lazard from the from the from the uh, Packers, Packers, but yeah. Jacoby Myers from the Patriots. I mean, these guys are, um, you know, they're not viewed how. I mean, obviously Kenny Galladay didn't work out, but they're not viewed how Kenny Galladay was viewed two years ago um, in terms of, oh, this is a number one receiver. We're going to go sign this guy. And Joe Shane also said, you know, after the season, um, he said, look, you know, a number one receiver doesn't guarantee you anything. Okay, that that's fair. I mean, basically he was referring to the fact that they had knocked Justin Jefferson and, and the Vikings out of the playoffs in the wild card round. Uh, so yes, obviously you need to have other pieces of, than a number one receiver. They have to find a way to bolster this receiver room, no matter what he says, obviously. I think there's a chance they could draft a receiver at 25. Um, I, I think there's less of a chance they go and take a big swing at, at a receiver in free agency, given given who's there and given their history. I mean, they they whiffed on Golden Tate spending big on him. They whiffed on Galladay, spending big on him. Yes, Joe Shane did not make either of those moves, but um, I would I would be sh- surprised if if he goes and, and spends huge money on a receiver in this free agency class. It's um, uh, interesting when you look at two years ago, it was the NFC least. And then this past year, it's been far better. But now having said that, the Giants got to deal with not only the Eagles, but you look at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, what are they going to do? We we don't really know. I mean, Jerry Jones is unpredictable. Uh, he's going to do whatever's going to make the biggest splash because his ego is a tad above explosive. I, I, I look, and then Washington. You don't turn your back on Washington either. They can they can hurt you. So you got a tough division, which means you got six rough games every year. They have to find a way to overcome the Eagles. I mean, and then obviously the Cowboys too, but because they've been terrible against both of those teams in, in you know, over really the past decade uh, during this period of post most recent Super Bowl win. But really the Giants issues were exposed when they played the Eagles in those two games, especially the playoffs. The run defense was a complete disaster. Um, and you saw how bad the Giants offensive line was in terms of pass protection and that has to get a lot better i mean they have to figure out how to defend the run uh, a lot better sure if they're inside linebacker situation i mean they they got gashed on the ground by the eagles in those two games and they need to be able to protect better i mean that's that's one of the most important things you can do in the nfl today is protect the quarterback um and so that doesn't you know they're not going to go get a new tackle because andrew thomas is great on the left side they need they need evan neal to be a lot better on the right side in year two and we'll see still too early to give up on him and they need to figure out the interior offensive line. I mean, we talk about a lot about Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones and all that, but but who's going to be their center. I mean, Daniel Jones has had four centers through four seasons. So those sort of things will be important this off season, along with the top line um, storylines of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and that sort of stuff. The biggest uh, uh, plus that you can make about the giants is the job Brian Dable did last year. Uh, I, I thought he was outstanding. Uh, from game one, I mean, when he went for two, 
I thought what he did was he showed that locker room that he believed in them. And I thought that was as, as smart a thing a coach could do as I've seen. Uh, and it happened right at the beginning of his career as a giant head coach. Yeah, no, he really did a nice job of mixing uh, sort of fury and friendly. I mean, he really he did get on guys at times, but also during the week um, did not run these guys down like Joe Judge did. I mean, the practices were a lot um, lighter in terms of work management, workload management. And, um, you know, guys bought in and they they really believed in him. Obviously, a well-deserved coach of the year honor. And he gets both of his coordinators back. Both of them had high uh, – well, Mike Kafka had a really high level of head coaching interest, and Wink Martindale was a candidate for the Colts job. And they're both back. Shea Tierney, who interviewed for the Bucs offensive coordinator job, the quarterback's coach, he's back. So there's going to be continuity for Daniel Jones and for this defense, which is which is important, you know, obviously, because, first of all, Dable doesn't call the plays on offense, and he's an offensive-minded coach, so he, he really relies on Wink Martindale. So I think that those will be important things for the staff going forward. And um, now they just have to get more players. I mean, this roster uh, – overachieved no doubt last year the schedule is going to be harder and um the expectations are going to be higher i mean people are not going to be satisfied with seven and ten but you know or eight and nine even right after going nine seven and one so the success and the surprising success raised the bar um and it really puts a lot of pressure on joe shane this offseason i mean last year was a coaching year i mean the coaching staff was going to have to do what it could with what it had left over mostly from the dave gettleman era um and now this year becomes this offseason at least becomes a joe shane type of year you know he has to go um get guys you know draft some players sign some players for this team to figure out how to bolster some of their weak areas um, and then we'll see what they're able to do going forward. Obviously, this coaching staff can coach. There's no doubt about that. It's it's interesting to me when you look around the league. Uh, Eric Bieniemy leaves Kansas City, and for years, Eric Bieniemy has been a prime candidate to be a head coach somewhere. Uh, I have to believe the reason why he left Kansas City is because he wasn't calling plays. So yeah. you, I don't know if that became a bone of contention with him and Andy Reid. I don't know that. I'm not in, the, in their office when they have these conversations. But here's Biennemi that, that that got another co- another job. Uh, you you look at hey, I thought Rex Ryan was going to get the defensive coordinator's job with Denver. He didn't. Van Joseph got it. A good hire, former head coach. But you wonder if uh, that's one swing and a miss was enough for Rex Ryan. Yeah, I don't know if Rex is ever going to get. I mean, obviously, you know he's doing great on TV. He's making great right. money. I'm sure the job's not that hard, right. and he's great. He's a great fit for it. And you thought like okay. Would he be willing to come back for a defensive coordinator job? Because I, you know, I think it was pretty evident he's not going to be a head coach again. He he was in the mix for the University of Miami job a couple of years ago, as I recall. Um, but um, but yeah, no, he 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 decided. Look, uh, you know, I'd be willing to be a DC. Probably that job is going to pay pretty darn well because of the owners of that team are the richest owners in pro sports, I guess, at least the NFL, uh, the Walmart uh, group, and so. Yeah, I think it would have been an interesting hire. Then the, the Sean Payton mix with Rex and then Mike Westoff out there, kind of getting the old Jets band back together. Uh, as it turns out, it's still an interesting uh, staff in Denver with obviously Westoff and Payton and then the, the former head coach of the Broncos now calling their defense. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that that would have been cool to see Rex get that job. Obviously, um, his son was actually up for the Jets wide receiver job, which he didn't get. So Seth Ryan stays in Detroit as the assistant receivers coach. But um, yeah, no, and as it turns out, Brian Dable doesn't need to make uh, really any notable um, 
head coaching hires this offseason. There was a chance he was could have lost his quarterback coach, his OC, and his DC, and he kept all three guys. He's Daryl Slater of the Newark Star-Ledger. I asked Mike Vaccaro, who I had on earlier, about who his mentor was. And amongst those that he mentioned, uh, Dave Anderson, the late Dave Anderson, who was was an icon with the New York Times. And I I was in Dave's company a lot and just thought the guy was great. Uh, Who was your mentor? Oh, geez. Um, Well, I don't know if you're familiar with him because I kind of got my start down in uh, the Virginia area. A gentleman named David Teal is the columnist for the he was the columnist for the Daily Press in Newport News, Virginia, which is the area that produced Allen Iverson and Mike Vick. Mm -hmm. And and so many of those got Lawrence Taylor came out of that area. Um, Who? What's his yeah. Lawrence? Lawrence uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and he actually now works at the Richmond Times Dispatch, which is another place where I worked at down there, albeit not with him. So the, I, I'm from New upstate New York and went to college up there, and then uh, you know I'm, I'm here now, obviously, but I really got my start down there. So um, David Teal is just you know everything that David that Mike said about Dave Anderson, very true of, of David Teal. Uh, down in Virginia is just a great guy. So I was texting with him earlier about college basketball. He he's the, the dean of the ACC uh, hmm. in terms of writers, and so just a great guy, and definitely was a mentor mentor for me, no doubt. How, how long have you been at the Star Ledger? Since 2013, since August of 2013. Boy, it's uh, look, you come into this market, whether you're physically in New Jersey as I am, uh, or uh, I, but I was born and raised in Brooklyn, so New York has always been in my blood. Uh, and when I sat down, I sat down with Dave Anderson once at the Meadowlands at, at the, in the press room uh, before a game. And he was talking to and it, 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 it escapes me right now who the guy was, but he was with the New York Giants baseball team of the 50s under Leo DeRocher. And the guy was claiming that the Giants stole signals from the Dodgers. And that's how they beat him in the infamous 1951 right. playoff. And so... <laughs> I just wish I could remember his name. Uh, he was a backup catcher, as I recall. And I looked at him and said, well, if the Giants stole signals from the Dodgers, they just did it in game three. What happened to the games one and two? Because the Dodgers beat the Giants in game one, like blew them out. And he said, and he gave me some answer. And I looked, he leaves. And I said to Dave, I said, are you buying that story? He goes, no, <laughs> no. But Dave was a great guy. You know, I said the same thing to Mike Vaccaro about Tim McCarver, who he wrote about. They made you feel like they knew you your whole life. Just the first meeting you ever had with them. It's the same feeling I had with Dave Anderson. Yeah, I grew up uh, listening to Tim McCarver. And obviously, he was on Fox for years, you know, right. but, but Met games, you know, I grew up a Met fan um, in Albany. And um, we got all the we, back then you could get the fan up there. The fan, the signal carried up there. And, and there was also affiliate stations up there, which I don't think they have anymore, but uh, all TV and radio, uh, Met games, and of course, Tim McCarver being such a big presence uh, on the Mets TV broadcast for so many years. And um, yeah, uh, obviously, I never got to know him personally, but you kind of felt like you knew him, right? I mean, that's yep. kind of... yeah, no, there's no question. Uh, uh, before I let you go, going to your crystal ball, who do the Jets come away with this offseason at quarterback? I think it's Derek Carr. I think it just makes too much sense. It really does for all the reasons we talked about earlier. I think it really makes too much sense. And um, it'll be fascinating to see where Aaron Rodgers winds up. Could he go to San Francisco? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that would that would be an interesting one, kind of going back to uh, where he's from, 
where he where he played in college. So, yeah. um, but uh, yeah, I think Derek Carr would make great sense for the Jets on multiple levels. Yeah, well, the, the San Francisco uh, idea is a good thought because Brock Purdy's uh, surgery was delayed. So I don't know what that means in terms of long term, but you know Jimmy Garoppolo is going somewhere else, right? Uh, and you know Ryan Tannehill could very well go somewhere else. Uh, as for Rodgers, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's staying in Green Bay. That'll be fascinating to see how that relationship goes throughout the year, um, considering how hard-headed he is and how he's kind of rubbed <laughs> people the wrong way there. I, I would get my popcorn for that one, that's for sure. Yeah. He's changed quite a bit. Uh, don't you think, uh, Aaron Rodgers? I mean, he's just, his whole demeanor has changed. Yeah, he, he maybe he had that inner nut job in him all along, and now it's just coming up <laughs> a little bit more. He goes on Pat McAfee and just spouts off about <laughs> anything and everything. Um, in some ways, he'd be fascinating to cover. In some ways, uh, a bit annoying, um, not uh, dealing with on a personal level, but just having to like everything he, he says becomes a story. Um, but uh, the bottom line is, is I, you know, it's about production and, and and he's a guy who's at the end of his career, no doubt. So like, if you're the jets, why not go get a guy who you don't have to trade for and you don't have to pay as much for and who's younger and all things being equal, you know, is probably similar in production right now. I mean, you rattled off the stats earlier. So I think the Derek Carr thing just makes a lot of sense for the jets. No question. Thanks for your time, Daryl. Really appreciate it. You stay safe. Sure. Thanks for having me. He's Daryl. Stay I'm getting kind of a, I don't know, uh, a feeling of the phrase, the same old Jets. That's got to go away sometime. And now's the opportunity to lose that phrase. You signed Eric Carr. You won't regret it. You sign Aaron Rodgers. You might. Thanks for being a part. Uh, taking a bite of the Big Apple, yours truly, Howard David. You stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.